But would you take the word of God this evening and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus and uh, chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25. In our consideration of the tabernacle, which is where this, uh, the subject of the tabernacle begins in Exodus chapter 25, uh, we have seen that there are three main areas uh, in the, uh, that are part of the tabernacle. There is uh, first the outer court. Uh, it is uh, all fenced in. There's a gate. Uh, you will go into gate. The outer court is opened. It is not enclosed. Uh, the tabernacle itself then within the outer courts is uh, the uh, tent-like structure. And in that uh, tent structure, there are two sections. If you open, uh, go into the tabernacle, you find that the first section is considered the holy place. And separating the first section from the second section is a veil. And if you were to step behind the veil into the other section, you would be standing in the holy of holies. If you remember in the first part of the chapter, from verse 1 through verse 9, uh, we find basically the materials needed for the tabernacle. And uh, Moses was instructed by God to uh, get all of the people to bring those specific materials for the tabernacle. And so that's all we know in the first nine verses, the materials for the tabernacle. We learn later that when the materials was brought, there was too much, and they had to stop people from bringing uh, all that was needed for the tabernacle. Now, before anything about the service or the specifics of the tabernacle are given, God begins with the furniture, which is located in the Holy of Holies. We covered last week, we are, were reminded that uh, the, the first piece of furniture mentioned is the Ark of the Covenant. It's just referred to in verse 10 as the Ark. But from verse 10 down to verse 22, we have the details about that Ark, and we spent some time last week Speaking of that, but we are reminded that the tabernacle uh, was made for the ark and that the ark was not made for the tabernacle. And so the main piece that uh, God brings up first to Moses is indeed the ark of the covenant. It is also, by the way, called the ark of the testimony in this chapter. And also the tabernacle itself is called the tabernacle of the testimony. Now, what we are concerned about, and I'm going to repeat this probably every message, and there's a reason for that, is because the key to teaching is repetition. And what we are concerned about with regards to the tabernacle is primarily the message that it communicates. Uh, remember that the tabernacle, as I mentioned, is called the tent of the testimony. In Numbers chapter 9, verse 15, the Ark of the Covenant is also called the Ark of the Testimony in Exodus chapter 25, verse 22. Uh, and in other words, there is a testimony that is contained in the tabernacle. Uh, there is a testimony in all the furniture pieces, and there is a testimony in the service that was to be performed in the tabernacle. Uh, God did not design something so that here we might be impressed with its structure and the design itself. Uh, rather, God designed something so that our hearts might be gripped with its message, with its testimony. 
It is the tabernacle of the testimony. It is the ark of the testimony. And so we must not think of the tabernacle as we uh, currently think of uh, like this, a church building in which we gather. The tabernacle was quite different. It is interesting to think about what did not take place in the tabernacle. Uh, now, this, uh, and I'm going to make this statement just by primary study, and I don't want you to think about now the temple, but rather the tabernacle. Uh, to my knowledge, the tabernacle was a place of silence. Uh, there was no prayers offered in the tabernacle. No songs of praise were sung in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was designed to be a place where men stood in silence because God had a message in the tabernacle. You see, the tabernacle was designed to be a place where God was testifying, not man. God's testimony of specifically Christ to man. Now, later when the temple is constructed at the dedication, there are songs and choirs, but the point is, Surrounding the tabernacle, you don't find that taking place inside the tabernacle. As a matter of fact, uh, the tabernacle was not for the, all the children of Israel. It was limited to the priests. These were the only ones who could go into the tabernacle. Uh, so the tabernacle is not the place where God's people congregated. It was the place where God was testifying of something. It was a place where God was communicating a message to his people. I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, that says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And here is where the glory of God is chiefly communicated to us in the face of Jesus Christ. And so what is the tabernacle? It is this. It is the face of Jesus Christ. It is everything about Jesus Christ that we need to know. Now, we're going to begin reading here in verse, pick it up where we left off, in verse 23. And so if you have your place there, would you stand with me? In Exodus chapter 25, verse 23, we're going to read about the second piece of furniture that is mentioned in the tabernacle. Again, all that we're doing here is we are following God's order. This is as God gave it to Moses. And this is not random. Uh, God is the one who spoke this, and I believe that there is a specific purpose in God giving the order. So first, the materials are to be gathered. Secondly, what is all this about? It's about the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God communes with man. But now the next place is what we refer to as the table of shewbread. So notice verse 23, the Bible says, Thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood, Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and make thereto a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt make unto it a border, and an half breadth round about, and thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. And thou shalt make for it four rings of gold, and put the rings in the four corners that are on the four feet thereof. Over against the border shall the rings be for places of the staves to bear the table. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold, that the table may be borne with them. And thou shalt make the dishes thereof, and spoons thereof, 
and covers thereof and bowls thereof to cover withal of pure gold shalt thou make them. And thou shalt set upon the table shewbread before me, notice the word, always. I want to preach this evening on this, the table of shewbread. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening for your word, and Lord, help us to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Help us as we consider this next piece of furniture that we might understand how it communicates about Jesus Christ, uh, his ministry and his work. Lord, might we leave this place tonight grateful for the person, the work of Jesus Christ, without whom we would be lost, condemned under the wrath of God, without hope. But Christ came, and in this tabernacle, help us to see how Christ is unveiled. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So we now come to... What the Bible refers to in verse 23 as a table. Nothing spectacular mentioned so far, but it is a table. It is not uh, called the table of Schubert. It is not assigned a name. It is just a, a table made of the same wood that the Ark of the Covenant was made with. And in the same way that the Ark was overlaid with gold, so the table was overlaid with gold. We are here following in the same way the order in which we find these items. And the first piece mentioned, there is a distinction, though, because the first piece mentioned is located in the Holy of Holies. It's on the other side of the veil. But the table is going to be located in the holy place. Remember that the Ark of the Covenant, where the mercy seat, or if you would, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, where it would be the place where God would communion with man is a place of communion with God. Uh, the second piece that is mentioned is located not in the Holy of Holies, but on the other side in the holy place, and it is a table. Now, there is a word here that connects, I believe, the Ark of the Covenant to this table. If you notice with me, verse 23, he says, Thou shalt, what's the next word? Also make. Now, if you remember, if you look at this, uh, if you look at all the things that are mentioned about the tabernacle, if you go back to verse 10, he says, they shall make an ark. So they shall make. Uh, here we read, thou shalt also make a table. Notice verse 31. Thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Go, no, go to chapter 26, verse 1. Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine linen. Verse 7 of chapter 26. Thou shalt make curtains of goat's hair. Verse 15. And thou shalt make boards for the tabernacle of shittim wood. Verse 26. Thou shalt make bars of shittim wood. Verse 31. Thou shalt make a veil. Verse 33. Thou shalt hang up. So I want you to notice here all the different materials that are mentioned and all the different pieces of furniture, the Bible says, thou shalt make, thou shalt make. But here there's the word also. Now, what has been given in detail thus far? The Ark of the Testimony, the Ark of the Covenant. And now for the second piece of furniture, what I believe God's word does here by the Spirit of God is connect to us the Ark of the Covenant with this table, with the word 
also. You see, the word also connects the Ark of the Covenant. That's the only thing, only piece that has been mentioned thus far. Only the material has been mentioned. But the Ark of the Covenant has been mentioned, and it is connected to the table of shewbread. And so if the tabernacle has to do with communion, which is what we find in verse 22. Isn't that what he just mentioned? Notice verse 22. And there, at the Ark of the Covenant, at the mercy seat, I will meet with thee and will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the Ark of the Testimony, of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. So the Ark of the Covenant is the place of communion, where God will commune with man. And now immediately after this verse says, Thou shalt also make, where are we? We are in the place of communion. That has been the theme of the Ark of the Covenant. And so we might also say here that the table also has to do with communion. Now here's why I say this. Because there is a picture not just in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 20 and 21, the Bible says, But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have, ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. The chapter is about communion with God. And here he says that the place of communion with God is the place of the Lord's table. As a matter of fact, throughout the Bible, the table is a place of communion. We're reminded, for example, of, you remember David, he was trying to find the nearest kinsman to Saul. And he looked all throughout the land, and finally they found Mephibosheth. And you remember what David said, I'm going to invite him to be with me, and he will dine at my table. What does that mean? He will be in communion with me. He will sit at my table. We today as believers, when we partake of the Lord's table, we are declaring communion with the Lord. You see, the table of the Lord is the place of communion. The table is a place of communion. Uh, again, in the New Testament, we understand that the Lord's table is the place where we declare that we are in fellowship with Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to show you that. I'm, I've just made this statement, but let me build on that to show you here how uh, this is connected uh, with the aspect of communion with the Ark of the Covenant. Now, remember that one piece is in the Holy of Holies. The other piece is in the Holy Place. Remember that no, none of, not only did the children of Israel not have permission to go into the holy place, only the Levites could go in the holy place, but furthermore, it was only the high priest once a year, only one time a year, who could go into the holy of holies. If we read here, go back to our text in Exodus chapter 25, notice with me in verse 23 and 24, thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood, two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof, and thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and make thereto a crown of gold round about. You see, the table here was made, interestingly, uh, with the word also, uh, the table was made just like the ark in its materials. The same wood, 
and the same wood would be overlaid with pure gold. Again, we talked about how in the Ark of the Covenant, uh, again, uh, the point here is uh, he could have just said, made it of pure gold. That's solid enough. But he wanted the Ark of the Covenant to be made first of wood, then of gold. And it shows us, as I mentioned last week, uh, the two aspects uh, of the both the deity and the humanity of the person of Jesus Christ. And here when he mentions the word also with reference to the table, the table is made of the exact same material, again for us, portraying both the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. Let me say it at the onset, that Jesus Christ is the table of shewbread. I'm going to show you that by the end. Uh, the table, interestingly, was made of the same material as the Ark of the Covenant. The table was also the same height as the Ark. Uh, there are only two pieces that are equal in height in the tabernacle. It is the Ark of the Covenant and the table of shewbread. The table had also a crown of gold, just like the Ark did. The table was equipped with rings to be held up with staves, just as the Ark was. This, again, was made for easy transport. And I'll say by the end here that the bread, the shoe bread that was placed on the table, was not removed when they traveled. It remained on the table. And so it was made to be traveled as such. The table, again, uh, was equipped with the same uh, uh, things that the Ark of the Covenant was. We also see that the table had something placed on it just as the mercy seat had been placed on the ark. And so the word also here, I believe, connects these two pieces together. The one is in the Holy of Holies, and the other is in the holy place. If you notice, verse 24 and 25 speaks here of a crown of gold round about. Notice verse 24 and 25, Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and make thereto a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt make unto it a border and an, uh, an handbreadth round about, and thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. And so this would not be the typical table as we eat today. In other words, there would be about a handbreadth uh, of a crown, uh, if, you, if you would, a, a design which would elevate above the table, kind of like a border that would rise around the table, uh, certainly as they would travel to hold the shoe bread, because it stayed on the table as they traveled, uh, to hold it safely in there. And so he speaks here of this border. The crown was basically a border, and this border was not just uh, an ornamentation. It was not just there for decoration, but rather, I believe it was there for protection. We know that the bread was not removed even when Israel was on the move. Uh, this crown border, I believe here, is representative of those who are in Christ, who are in a secure place never to be removed. In, uh, if you turn with me to Numbers, go to with me to Numbers chapter 4. In Numbers chapter 4, and uh, notice with me, you could read about uh, the, the table of shewbread uh, from verse 6. Well, let's begin reading in verse 5. Notice Numbers chapter 4, verse 5. And when the camp uh, setteth forward, Aaron shall come and his sons, and they shall take down the covering veil and cover the ark of the testimony with it, and shall put thereon the covering of badgered skins, 
and shall spread over it a cloth holy of blue, and shall put in the staves thereon, and upon the table of shewbread uh, they shall spread a cloth of blue, and, the, and put thereon the dishes, and the spoons, and the bowls, and the covers to cover withal, and the continual bread shall be thereon. Do you notice here he says, the continual bread shall be thereon. And they shall spread upon them a cloth of scarlet, and cover the same with a covering of badger skins, and shall put in the staves thereof. And so what we read here is this is referred to as a continual bread. And so we take note here uh, of this bread is designed to, to be always before the Lord, not removed when they traveled. Not to be removed when they traveled. We, we take note also even of, it's interesting, of the very dimensions of the border. Uh, if you look at the dimensions given throughout, about the tabernacle, throughout this, uh, the, these chapters, uh, you find the expression cubits and half cubits. But you notice here how he lays out the dimensions for this border. Uh, notice what he says uh, again in verse 24. And thou shalt overlay it, that table, with pure gold, and make thereto a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt make unto it a border of an hand breadth round about. It is interesting that he would refer to every other dimension as a cubit or a half cubit, but when it comes to the border, he uses the term hand breadth roundabout. Yet for all the other dimensions, they're given in cubits. And remember, I mentioned here, we'll go talk about the bread in just a moment, I believe the border is there uh, not just for decoration, not just for ornamentation, but it is there to protect the bread that is on the table uh, from going overboard, representing that they are protected, that they are in a safe place. And remember that it is Jesus Christ himself who said in John 10, 28, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. There's something interesting about this table that he would use a different way of dimension to mention the dimensions by a hand breath. I believe showing us that when we are in Christ, we are kept by the hand of Jesus Christ. I like what E.C. Pressland writes about this. He says, again, we are confronted with the precious grace that each believer, all believers are secured by God. The highest revealed blessings are theirs, and these cannot be alienated, nor the believer removed from the position given him. Christ, the table, maintains him before God. Christ, the border, secures him there. The border, too, has a crown as well as the table. Uh, there is a certain glory uh, attaching to our maintenance and further a glory attaching to our security. If a believer could be lost... If anything could impair his security, if the border could be damaged, the crown must share it, and the very glory of Christ solid, that is impossible. See, there's a reason why this table is made with a border. Notice double border, uh, the hand breath, but also a crown, and not just for ornamentation, but there to show the security and the safekeeping of everything that is on the table, not just when it is in the tabernacle, but even when they journey through the wilderness. He goes on to say in verse 26, And thou shalt make for it four rings of gold, and put the rings in the four corners, that are on the four feet thereof, 
and over against the border shall the rings be for the places of the staves to bear the table. And again, in verse 28, here he mentions that the table was made for transport. Uh, the, the bread still on the table as they traveled. As the children of Israel journeyed through the wilderness, they would be reminded that the table, the table was always furnished. Even while they were traveling. No matter, this is a good lesson for us, because no matter our lot in life, we may always have communion with the Lord Jesus Christ because our position in Him never changes, no matter where we are. He goes on to say in verse 29, Thou shalt make the dishes thereof, and the spoons thereof, and covers thereof, and bowls thereof, to cover withal of pure gold shalt thou make them. Now we're going to talk later about uh, those uh, different elements that are there uh, on the table. Uh, but I want us to, to note, we just read a moment ago in Numbers chapter 4, that during the time that they were traveling, the table was covered. They would cover the table. In other words, the, the table itself would not be exposed to the elements during the travels. If you go back with me to Numbers chapter 4, let's look at those. This covering for the table of shewbread. Numbers chapter 4, notice verse, verse 7. So he speaks both of the ark on the move, the table on the move, verse 7. And upon the table of shewbread, they shall spread a cloth of blue. Cloth number 1. And put thereon the dishes and the spoons and the bowls and covers the cover withal, and the continual bread shall be thereon. And they shall spread upon them a cloth of scarlet, cloth number two, and cover the same with a covering of badger skins, and shall put in the staves thereof. And so there are three coverings. Do you notice that? There is, first of all, the cloth of blue, secondly, the cloth of scarlet, and thirdly, the covering of badgered skins. When you read earlier about... Um, uh, the, the ark, he mentions in verse 5, And when the camp setteth forward, Aaron shall come, and his sons, and they shall take down the covering veil, and cover the ark of testimony with it, and shall put thereon the covering of badger skins, and shall spread over it a cloth holy of blue, and shall put in the staves thereon. Uh, just a little distinction here between the ark, how it was covered. It was covered with a cloth of blue and badger skins. But for the table, there were three coverings. A cloth of blue, a cloth of scarlet, and a, a, a covering of badgered skins. The one that came first is the blue. Uh, I believe here that the blue uh, is uh, signifying, and uh, although there's no verse that says that the color blue means this, I think when we look throughout the Bible that uh, the color blue communicates the heavenly glory. And I believe here we're thinking about Jesus Christ who came down from heaven. That's who he was. He was not a created being. But he came from heaven. He was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the, uh, of the Father, full of grace and truth. So I believe the blue communicates uh, heaven, heaven's glory, but the scarlet communicates earthly glory. It is a uh, color when we speak, uh, think about earth, uh, of earthly glory, but it's interesting that the word scarlet is also, uh, uh, the, another word for scarlet is the word worm. Strange to think, but not so strange if we think about Jesus Christ who came from heaven's glory but came to earth uh, as, by the way, he said himself that he is as a worm. He was as a worm. 
Uh, although not taking away from any of his glory or his deity, but he became a man without ceasing to be God. But there's one more covering, and that is the covering of badgered skin. I believe here simply communicating the humility. And by, by, by the way, the badgered skins was what was visible to the eye. The people who would see the table of shoe bread be moved on the journey, they would not see the cloth of blue, they would not see the cloth of scarlet, but they would see the badgered skins. What a um, seeming uh, uh, meaningless thing. Why not cover it with gold or with a, a beautiful color? No, skin. Communicating humility, which was visible to the eye. When Jesus Christ came, by the way, there was no form of colonist in him. There was no desire that we, there's no beauty that we should desire him. As a matter of fact, I don't like any representation of Jesus Christ at all. I don't think that Jesus Christ stood out on a crowd. I don't think that he was impressive in stature. I don't think, as some people say, that he was like the, the, the perfect body, uh, six foot, and, and, and all the, the, the perfect features. I think that he blended in with anybody, everybody uh, as a Jew, and that there was no outside beauty that we should desire him. There was no halo over his head. He looked as a common man. And just like God is the tabernacle representative of Jesus Christ, because the tabernacle on the outside just looks like a tent. Not much impressive. Not like the temple of Solomon. Just regular tent. Not too impressive. We're not impressed again by the outside structure of the tabernacle. We're interested in what is within the tabernacle. And so it is with our Lord Jesus Christ. We are not interested in His stature. We are not interested in how Jesus Christ looked. We are interested in who he was on the inside. These, by the way, were only used during the time of travel. Obviously not for uh, any uh, undefiled, uh, things that are undefiled to come onto the table, to come onto the bread and to defile the table itself. But we bring it all together in verse 30 when he mentions what's actually on the table. Notice Exodus 25 verse 30. And thou shalt set upon the table shoe bread before me always. That's an important word, always. In other words, you're never going to take the bread off. Whether it's in the tabernacle or uh, whether it is uh, while you are traveling. Now here it is called, we have, uh, it is mentioned early on, a table is what you're going to make. And here's what you're going to put on the table. You're going to put shoe bread on the table. But it is first called the table of shoe bread in Numbers chapter 4. Now we read it a moment ago in Numbers 4, 7. And upon the table of shoe bread, uh, they shall spread a cloth of blue. Now, uh, although we see, remember when we talked about the ark, the ark, there was the base. And they were to make that uh, first, and then they were to make a separate piece. It is part of the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. The mercy seat was a cover who stood upon the Ark. So there are really two pieces. The Ark is made up of two pieces. And the table of shoe bread is also made up of two pieces. The table and the shoe bread. Now let me show you, if you turn with me to Hebrews uh, chapter 9. We see here, 
that we uh, find a distinction, or uh, not a distinction, but a, a separation between both the table and the shoe bread that was on the table. Notice Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. He said, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick, notice, and the table and the shoe bread. Do you notice here that they're found separately? Now they go together. It is the table of shoe bread, but there is significance to the table itself and there's significance to the bread itself. Now those, yes, they go together, but in Hebrews 9, he mentions those separately. Now, uh, let's go turn with me to Leviticus chapter 24. We find the furnishings here of this shoe bread. What, what, what was the shoe bread about? Uh, what do we find there? Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 24 uh, as a good commentary on, or uh, a commentary on this shoe bread. What is, what is this bread? Notice Numbers 24. And uh, let's begin reading, or Leviticus. Did I say Numbers? I said Numbers. Leviticus. I said Leviticus. I'm confused. All right, Leviticus, Leviticus 24. Uh, notice with me verse 5. And thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof. Two tenth deals shall be in one cake, and thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the, uh, on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord." Uh, now, I want you to notice the different things about the shoe bread. We have the general term in Exodus 25, the shoe bread that sits on the table. But here is what this shoe bread is all about. Notice, first of all, it is made of fine flour. It is, that's its composition. What is this shoe bread made of? It is made of this fine flour. In other words, there was to be no unevenness in the flour. If you've ever put dough together, uh, you know what that means, no lumps. When you make pancakes or, well, uh, in our family, every once in a while, we make crepes. When you make crepes, you can't have lumps in them, okay? You have to take all the, it has to be, uh, it has to be, uh, in the sense, fine, okay? Uh, no lumps. And by the way, I believe here that when he says that when you bake those cakes, uh, you use a fine flour, there should be no unevenness in the flour, I believe you're picturing the perfection of Jesus Christ. Now, let me pause here and say that often people, we're going to see here that there are 12 cakes, 12 pieces, and, and people run and they say, okay, well, that's the 12 tribes, but I, I think that's not sufficient. I don't think that that's sufficient to say that the 12 cakes are the 12 tribes. I actually believe that the 12 cakes are picturing Jesus Christ. And I'm going to give you the reasons for that in just a moment. But the fine flour that is used is picturing for us the perfection of Jesus Christ. When he used the word, uh, he uses then you can't, you're going to bake it. So we find its composition, fine flour. We find its process. What process is the cake to go through? It is to go through the baking process. You see, the fine flour had to pass through the heat. 
I believe, for me, picturing our Lord Jesus Christ in his perfection, coming under the wrath of God on our behalf. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible says, For he, God, hath made him Christ to be sin for us, he who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Make no mistake, Jesus Christ was perfect, he was righteous, he fulfilled the law, but he became sin for us, he endured the wrath of God on our behalf. So the flying flower is its composition, depicting the purity of Christ. The baking is the process it goes through, picturing the wrath of God upon the sun. But then notice the, their number. There are to be 12 cakes. Uh, so with this total of 12 cakes on the table, it is often said that these are there to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. However, we should not just stop at that. I think we should go a little further. I believe that the 12 cakes are actually represent, uh, representative of our standing in Christ. Or to those who believed uh, of their standing in Christ. Uh, do you remember the First uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16? He says, the bread which we break today in the New Testament, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? What I'm saying is when we partake of the bread, when we have communion, when we partake in the Lord's table and we consume this bread, we are not saying that this bread is us. What we are saying as we eat this bread and partake and declare communion with Jesus Christ, that we are in Christ, that he died for our sins and that uh, our standing now is in Christ. There is no perfection in us. There is no basis into which we can come into communion and fellowship with God. It is only through Christ. So I believe here that the cakes are not there to say, well, that's the children of Israel, and they were, they're worthy to be on this table. No, they're not worthy to be on this table, but in Christ they are worthy to be on this table. And so we see here its uh, number. I think here it's just representative of the individual. In other words, it was not just one cake. There was 12 representing the individuality of the tribes standing in Christ. There is a sense that these cakes stand as an individual representation. You see, there is no corporate salvation. There is an individual salvation for you. If uh, our children who are born into our families, uh, there is not an automatic redemption for them because they're born in our families. They have to have their own standing in Christ by faith. But then we see the word, if you notice with me, in Leviticus 24, he mentions that uh, thou shalt take fine flour and bake 12, but then he uses the word cakes. Two-tenth deal shall be in one cake. So the book of Leviticus calls the shewbread cakes. Now, I just was curious here. You know, we, we, we read, it's called in Exodus 25, the shewbread is placed on, on the table. Uh, here we read in the book of Leviticus that something is told us specifically about the shewbread, that it's like a cake. Interestingly, if you do a word study on the cake, the word cake comes from a Hebrew word that means perforated cake. Now, I don't know whether you think that that's significant or not, but I think that's significant. If this is not just a baked cake, 
But if it's a perforated baked cake, and if the bread is representative of Jesus Christ, well, Jesus Christ, he was pierced for our sins. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. You see, the bread, I affirm again tonight, is not there to say, well, that's the children of Israel. No, that is the standing in Christ. The bread is Christ. By the way, Jesus said so himself. If you turn with me in the New Testament in John chapter 6, Jesus was standing among a group of religious people and he is explaining to them exactly who he is. And in John chapter 6, uh, no doubt the whole chapter is filled with wonderful truths about who Jesus is and his person declaring his Messiahship, his deity. But in John chapter 6, notice verse 32. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is, the, is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Who is our bread? Jesus is our bread. In him is eternal life. Notice down in verse 51. Jesus said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give in my flesh, will, uh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? You see, Jesus said, I am the bread that came from heaven. The bread in the book of Exodus does not speak of man. Man is sinful. Man cannot be described of being made of fine flour. It is speaking of Jesus Christ and our standing in Christ. Here's what we learn. The table of shoe bread is mentioned, the table and the shoe bread is mentioned for us separately in Exodus 25, correct? He said, first, make a table. Once the table is made, he says, then you're going to put the shoe bread on it. Leviticus 24 shows us how the shoe bread is made. It is cake. It is made of fine flour. Not just fine flour, but it is baked. It's going to be 12 pieces, and we're going to call those perforated cakes. So therefore, there's something that we learn about the table and about the cakes. You see, I believe here that the table shows us that Jesus Christ is the facilitator of our fellowship with God. Jesus is the table. He facilitates communion with God. Without Christ, there is no communion with God. But what about the shoe bread? So while the table itself shows us that Jesus Christ is the facilitator of our fellowship with God, the shoe bread shows us that Jesus Christ himself is the very basis of our fellowship with God. You see, Jesus is the table. Jesus is the bread. But guess what? Jesus is also the border. Everything about the table shows us who Jesus Christ is. Because of Jesus Christ, we can approach the presence of God at the table, at this table that we are unworthy to come to, but because Jesus Christ has facilitated that by his person, we can come to this table. 
And when we come to this table, we partake of the bread. By the way, we'll see later that part of the service was that the priest, every seven days, were to partake of this bread. They were to partake of this bread of communion with God. And who is this bread? This bread is Jesus Christ. You see, he is the very basis of our standing with God. He is the very one with whom, uh, through whom we can have communion with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is one God and there is only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is the table and he is the bread. And now that we come because Jesus facilitated communion with God and because he is the very basis of communion with God, our standing never changes. And the borders are there to remind us that we are kept in the very hand, by the very hand of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ, he is the table, he is the bread, he is the border. Jesus is everything to us. That's what he is. And Jesus did not cease to be who he was in pictured in the table and the shoe bread and the borders. But he would remain thus even when they traveled. To the very covering, the covering itself pictures Jesus Christ. That no matter through this life what we encounter in this life, and by the way, through the wilderness wanderings, they would encounter enemies, they would encounter difficulties, they would encounter shortage of water, shortage of food, and yet they would be reminded all along that their standing never changed. So when we think about the table of Shubra, Jesus is the table, he is the bread, he is the border, and he is also the covering. Who He is the one, by the way, who preserves us from the defilement of this world. He keeps us safe in that standing with God, never to be removed. You see, our very salvation is based on the character of Jesus Christ. And to say that we are not kept by his power is to mar the very character and person of Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, sum up the, the message. Here's the message. Jesus is the table. He's the bread. He's the border. He's the covering. Jesus is everything. And without him, we are nothing. Without him, we are nothing. You see, the bread, the very bread, is not representative of us. It's representative of our standing in Christ. And there's a difference there. We recognize, all of us, that we are utterly unworthy to have communion with God. But through Christ, and only Him, communion is facilitated He is the basis of our communion. He keeps us protected in the place of communion. And he covers us from the defilement of this world in the place of communion. So I believe that in the Holy of Holies and in the Holy Place, there is both, there is a place of communion with God. And both places speak of Christ.